Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. Hey and welcome to episode number 15 of Open and Real Q&A with Nick J. And in this episode we are live at Underground Empire Builders. Make some noise. So as you know, the format of these podcast episodes is you ask questions, I answer them, you can ask me anything, no holds barred. The theme of this two-day event is mindset, marketing and money, so questions related to that, but anything you like. And Jake is particularly happy because today he hasn't got to ask the questions. That's your job. So uh, raise your hand if you have a question to kick us off, please. Wait for the mic. Let's go to Ben first. Ben, what you got? Hey, Nick. My name's Ben Coomber, best-selling author of How to Live an Awesome Life and have a supplement company called Awesome Supplements. So my question's around mindset and money, connecting those two things together. The talk yesterday, um, we were looking at our belief systems and what it takes to elevate. So for context, my business is around a million and a half, Mm -hmm. and I've got aspirations to kind of four, five X that over the next four to five years. And challenging myself as a business owner and the belief systems that I have, in your experience, what does someone that's turning over one to five to ten, what are those kind of mindset shifts that maybe I should be exploring myself? How sh- the questions that I should be asking myself of like, how do I think now like a 10 million man? Yeah, great question. Love that. Um, first of all, round of applause for Ben. Great question. And... Um, the, the answer I'm going to give is the same answer whether you are turning over 10,000 a year, 100,000 a year, 1.5 million a year, 10 million a year, and you want to elevate. It's, this, it's the same thing. The first, there's a couple of questions I'd ask you, so this is for everyone to ponder. Um, first of all, what were the beliefs that you grew up learning around money? What beliefs did you learn as you were growing up around money? What were some of the stop phrases in your household when it came to money? So typically, um, when I ask that question, I hear things like, money doesn't grow on trees, or it takes money to make money. Anyone else got any? Shout them out nice and loud. Money is the root of all evil. What else? I'm not made of money. What else? Money doesn't buy your happiness. happiness. Interesting how most of the beliefs that we're taught are negative. Interesting, isn't it? Um, So I actually didn't hear any of those things when I was growing up. So the, the primary belief in my household when I was growing up, and and these are the words of my grandfather, Peter Hoff. His belief around money was, money is for spending. And there's plenty more where that came from. Now, what do you think? Positive or negative belief around money? What do you think? Interesting. So there are positive aspects to it because it's a, 
it's an abundant mentality, isn't it, when it comes to money? Because there's plenty more where that came from. We're in the flow. We can trust that we can, we can attract money whenever we want or whenever we need to. Now, the money is for spending bit landed me in hot water on more than one occasion. Especially earlier on in my career. So, um, what's interesting to me is that the beliefs that we have when we start our business, when we start to grow it, start to scale it, are probably rooted in our childhood. So Ben, I'm getting to answer your question now. I wanted to give that frame first around beliefs around money. Um, there are two things that I've done consistently that I think have leveled up my money mindset. The first one is I've spent time around people that have got a lot more money than I have. Because what that does is it normalizes success, it normalizes wealth. So, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're in you know, a standard full-time employment, and I think the average, I read this the other day, I think the average full-time employment now is somewhere around 25 to 30,000 a year, I think it's 28, something like that, is like an average full-time wage. Um, and you're only spending time around people that are earning a similar amount of money, that's not going to stretch your, your thinking. Of course, it's said, and there's a lot of research to back this up, that the easiest way to predict the income of anybody is to find out the incomes of the six people that they spend most time around. So for me, the first way to start shifting your thinking is to spend time around people that are generating a lot more. So if you're at one and a half million in annual revenue right now, um, I don't know, you've got a, a, a few different companies. Um, so your group of companies is bringing in you know, seven figures. My, my advice would be to get around more people that are at 5 million and 10 million and so on. And of course, you've been a member of our mastermind for, for a while now, and that's probably one of the reasons that you joined. Second thing, um, and I've got to be really careful with this piece of advice because it can maybe be construed as be reckless, and it's not that. Um, think about when you have five million or 10 million a year in revenue and you've built that business, what are the things that you'd like to buy, experience when you get there? And my advice would be to start doing some of that stuff sooner. Because what that does is it starts to train your brain to say that, there's plenty more where that came from, abundance mentality. I think a big mistake people make is, like, oh, I'll buy that or have that experience when, out there in the future. Now, I'm not saying that you should just recklessly spend and, and, and do silly things and buy stuff that you can't afford, but I think sometimes just to train your brain a little bit, it's smart. Um, this is uh, the final thing I'll say, and this is something that I, um, I'm borrowing this from a friend of mine, um, and he, uh, it, he decided, uh, by the way, his name's Paul O'Mahony. You might know of him. He's quite a well-known speaker. Um, if you've seen him speak, you might have even heard him tell this story. Um, uh, and he decided that he wanted to up his money mindset. And so he started carrying amounts of cash with him. Um, and when he wanted to increase his, I forget the exact way he did it, but like 
when he wanted to increase his monthly income, he would carry in cash the amount of money that he was making a month. So when he was making two grand a month, he would get two grand out of the bank and carry it in cash to make it feel normal to him that he'd have two grand on him. And then, of course, he tells the story that, you know, when he started making 30 and 40 and 50,000, um, then all of a sudden, like, he can't carry that in a wallet anymore. And one time he's going through an airport with a hold all with, like, all this cash in, and they search the hold all. And they open up the hold all, and there's police everywhere and sniffer dogs, and they think he's some sort of criminal. So I'm not saying that you should do that. But think about ways that you can start to raise your your consciousness and your thinking and your experience around money. Um, and of course, the theme for um, uh, most of the rest of today, we've got a little bit more on marketing and then a lot more on money. And I'm sure you'll learn some valuable things from Mark Homer, from Frank Flegg, from myself when we talk about that subject. Um, give me a round of applause. Great opening question. <laughs> okay, uh, we have David. And then, uh, if we can get the mic ready for Andy next, please. And if you've got questions, raise your hands and I'll make sure that I get to you. David. Hi, my name's Dave and I'm a stigma coach. I help people uh, who feel marginalised to transform from stigmatised to embracing their uniqueness. Love it. And my question's around the different mindsets that we have. So we've got a money mindset, we've got a marketing mindset, a life mindset, etc which, when you were growing up, did you find hardest to adapt or change from a, a maybe a negative one to a positive or very positive to super positive? Yeah, I think, um, well, we've spoken about the money mindset thing and what I grew up with. Um, I think um, marketing was probably less relevant when I was growing up because I hadn't really started uh, a business yet. Um, I, in my early career, um, you'll laugh now, uh, but I was petrified of sales. Which, if you know me well now, you go, how did that happen? Um, because I believed that selling and serving were two separate things. I believed that if I'm selling, I'm not serving. And I believed that if I was truly serving, I wouldn't be selling. And what I realized is that the two are intrinsically linked. And you can't actually do one without the other. Because people do not value what they get for free. In order to truly serve, in order to truly demonstrate value to somebody, you have to make a sale. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have a free lead magnet or you can't give away free samples of your product. Do that, and it's a great little way to introduce your products, your services to the market. But I guarantee people will not truly value what you give for free. The way to serve them at the deepest level is to make a sale and then have them be a client, be a customer long term. Ramel demonstrated it brilliant yesterday in his presentation when he talked about this cycle of you giving value to them and them exchanging for that value money to you and the cycle must complete. And I, I just got it all wrong in the early days. I believed that serving and selling were two separate things. They're intrinsically linked. You can't do one without the other. In fact, I believe 
that selling is serving and serving is selling. So that's probably the big mindset shift that I made early in my career, I would say. Um, the other one, um, which I don't think I've ever shared this, so there's a reason why it's coming into my mind now. Um, I'd say the biggest mindset issue I had growing up, and it's probably not uncommon, um, I, I just had a massive, um, I had massive hang-ups about how I looked. I had massive hang-ups about my height. I had massive hang-ups about being skinny. I had massive hang-ups about my skin. I had massive hang-ups about all this stuff, and it held me back. Um, and I was so fortunate, I think, to learn the tools, the techniques, the skills to overcome that and to change my mindset. And this is why, you know, I've always said and still say to this day that I think um, a lot of the a lot of the things that I learned um, in my teens through Tony Robbins and studying NLP and hypnotherapy and all those skills were so valuable and they should be taught in schools. Because the, the especially, you know, teenagers, you know, we're, as we're growing from, you know, kind of through those teenage years, uh, we're, we're learning more about who we are and we're learning about our sexuality and we're, all of these things are changing, our bodies are changing and it's a really, really scary time. Um, and I actually carried a lot of that into my early 20s as well, to be really honest. Um, and I was very fortunate that I was able to um, learn and be around amazing people and get coaching and mentoring and things like that to support me with it. Um, so those are probably the two for me, I would say. Great question. Give me a round of applause. <laughs> but by the way, out of, out of interest, um, raise your hand if you can relate to the last thing that I just shared about this Raise your hand nice and high. Look around the room. Look around the room. Like, it, it's almost unheard of. And by the way, this is a room full of people who have worked on their mindset. <laughs> like, imagine if you asked the question out there. Um, you know, the, the either, uh, you know, as you were growing up, or maybe even today, we still carry a bit of that. Um, and so, you know, this is why the mindset work's so important. Andy. Morning, Nick. Uh, Andy, I specialise in helping leaders overcome their people challenges. Uh, so when you were at the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, um, it was just you. As you were getting busier, how did you balance carrying on building your business whilst still serving your clients? Um, great question. The answer is badly <laughs> at first. Um, so I, I was just having breakfast with a few of you this morning. And I was sharing that um, I made, like, early on um, in my business, made a lot of mistakes. Um, today, my team would tell you, I still make a lot of mistakes. Um, but in particular, one of my biggest mistakes was probably um, 2011, 2012, so probably three or four years in, I'd gotten over the serving and selling thing. I'd become quite good at sales and marketing um, and being... Um, for those that are watching or listening to the podcast, being somebody who, from a personality style perspective, leads with dominance, I was all about the result. I was all about driving the business forward and um, increasing revenue and getting more clients. Um, and because I hadn't yet built an infrastructure around me of people who could support that, um, I made some mistakes around overselling and under-delivering, and it was incredibly painful. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was the lesson I needed um, so I had a, a small group of clients um, who I did a great job of marketing and selling to, um, and then a bad job 
of delivering on my promises to. Um, and it culminated in around about, I'm gonna say, mm, somewhere between 30 and 40,000 pounds worth of refund requests all in one fell swoop. Bear in mind, for context at the time, I was probably only generating 10 or 15,000 a month in revenue. Um, so it's quite a significant chunk. I didn't have the cash to cover it. I ended up having to borrow the money from the bank to pay it back. Um, you know, short-term reputation was tarnished. Um, so it was, it was very painful. Um, so the short answer is badly. Um, but the longer answer is having learned the lesson over time, based on what we shared yesterday around personality styles, the self-awareness to go, look, I am always going to, and my natural style is to drive the business forward, lead with a dominance style. And so I need to be aware of that. But what it means is I know that I need to support myself with people that complement that style, people who do, um, are, who are naturally nurturing, people who are influence or steadiness or compliance slash conscientiousness profiles. I didn't have the systems and processes in place that somebody who's um, a compliance or conscientiousness profile would have. Uh, I didn't have enough focus on making sure everybody's happy, like somebody who leads with steadiness would. So in time, I managed to put those things in place, um, hire for that, automate a lot of it, which I'm actually going to talk about um, in a following section this morning. Um, but yeah, to start off with, the short answer is I did it really badly. And then I learned the hard way and then got better at it, I guess is the the short answer. Round of applause for Andy. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, yes, lady here, uh, uh, Roth, one in from the back. There you go. Uh, what's your name again? Sorry. Hi, I'm Jenny Braithwaite. Jenny. Hey, Jenny. Hi. Um, so I work with people who are who would describe themselves as just a little business to move from there to being the CEO of the business, nice. so that they can make more impact with what they're doing, but while still keeping the joy and the love in the business. Nice. So my question is that a lot of people there, they're starting off at, they're doing everything themselves, and they need to get to the point where they have a team, but their mindset does not allow that. What do you think is the most important shift that a person can make at that point in their business? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, ra raise your hand in this room if you are either nearing the point where you need to start bringing people into the team or you're already there, you're already building a team of people. Yeah, so quite a large percentage. So the, the block that I observe, a lot of us have, and I count myself in this as well, um, early on in, in the business, there's, there's a few things that prevent people from making that, that step to start building a team. Um, the first one is just financial fear a lot of the time. It's a fear of, um, you know, that, uh, that I haven't got um, the, uh, the skills or the abilities to generate enough income to be able to pay for that and it's going to put me in financial trouble or worse still, it will put the person who I'm bringing onto the team into financial trouble because I won't be able to afford to pay the wages. So that's, that's a big, uh, I think that's the first hurdle. The, the second one, is probably a bit more subtle. Um, and it's that we often don't believe that somebody else will do it as well as we can. And what I've observed is that 
that belief is underpinned by, first of all, um, a need to hang on to control. And secondly, from a place of ego. And the ego bit is that no one else is going to do it as well as I can. I am the person who's the best salesperson, marketeer, um, best at serving the clients. I care more than anybody else, etc., etc. Um, and so what, what I would say is, first of all, in some cases, you're probably right. In some cases, you're not going to get somebody who can come in and do certain elements of the role better than you can. Um, case in point, the first person I ever hired in sales. There is no way that they are, at least not very quickly, going to be able to sell as well as I can. So you have to, and this is so hard for me to say, you have to accept sometimes what I would call a 7 out of 10. You have to accept that good is good enough. Because if you don't accept that, you'll never be able to grow and scale. When I talk about sales people, for example, we've got six people in our team who are there 20, you know, I say 24, 7, 3, 6, 5. They work full time, not 24, 7, 3, 6, 5, making sales. Now, they may not be as good as I am at making sales, but they can do six times the volume. In fact, they can do way more than six times the volume because I couldn't, even if I wanted to, spend all of my time on sales. So what's better? Six people full-time at a seven out of 10. And by the way, our sales team are incredible. They're way better than a seven out of 10. But if they were a seven out of 10, let's say for argument's sake, what's better? Six people at a seven out of 10 or one person at a nine out of 10 who's exhausted? What's better? Jenny, what do you think? What's better? It's the team. Yeah, six people at a seven out of 10. Even if they're not individually as capable, the, the, the total um, benefit outweighs like having somebody slightly better. That's one side of it. The other side of it is sometimes there are jobs you're holding on to that you are not very good at. And you'd be better off getting somebody else to do. So get your ego out of the way, let go of control and let somebody else thrive and do it well. Um, and so, you know, when we made our first hire, I told you yesterday, was a kind of Swiss army knife type role. So a bit of, bit of admin, bit of customer service, bit of bookkeeping, bit of diary management, bit of everything. I'm terrible at all those things because my attention to detail is almost zero. So actually letting go of control and getting somebody else to do that really helped us, help me enjoy the process and grow the business much more quickly. So those are the things that I think you probably want to look to shift. First of all, um, looking at some you know, money mindset stuff and thinking about what, what are the fears that are holding you back? Is it uh, a fear that, you, uh, that it will put your business into financial trouble or is it a fear that you don't want to take on the responsibility for somebody else's well-being and paying their wages? And then also, what's the reason why you're holding on to control? Um, is it an ego thing and you think you're the only person capable um, or is it something else? So I'd be thinking about those things, Jenny. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Great question. Give a round of applause. Um, I, I have very little compliance or conscientiousness, actually zero, but I have five minutes left, so we're going to go for one, maybe two more questions. Uh, Chloe has a question. By the way, Chloe, 
um, while the microphone's coming to her, um, has a brand new podcast, It's Amazing, and I was episode one of the podcast, and honestly, it's one of the best podcast episodes I've ever done, and I've done over 150 on my own podcast, and yours is better than most of mine, which pisses me off. <laughs> um, Chloe, what's the name of your podcast, first Thank of all? Thank you. Uh, so thanks, Nick. I host the Inspired By Show, and um, yeah, Nick was one of our first ever regular guests, so it was an amazing, amazing interview. So you, you already know that I'm quite open and real, and I do ask questions that people don't like, so I'm going to take this to a whole other level. Is everyone up for that? By the way, yeah, okay. the, the interview that we did before had a lot of questions that I didn't like, so going to a whole other level, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. <laughs> so I have a multiple six-figure business, and I've built quite a few of them, and I have quite a good team. I'm very lucky to say that I've got high profits, but I keep putting it back in the business and giving the team bonuses and not actually giving myself anything extra. So I've paid myself the same amount for about five years and I've never paid myself a bonus. That's me being really honest. Um, so my question for you, Nick, is do you give yourself pay rises? Do you give yourself bonuses? And how do you handle that mindset? I'm just looking at the team. <laughs> Ad, Ad said, what's a bonus? <laughs> it's what you get when you hit your targets, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, this is fun. <laughs> All my marketing campaigns are going to be wiped and tanked now. Just out of spite. Um, short answer, yes. I pay myself bonuses when the business performs makes more profit, I take more income. Have there been time, now here's the thing when you own a business, and, and by the way, um, team, I'm gonna say this, and hopefully you won't judge me for it. Um, as a business owner, we get all the upside, but we also get all the downside. Because guess what? When the business is flying and generating lots of profit, yeah, there's more there's more we can pay ourselves. We can pay ourselves bonuses, dividends. When the business is not working, we don't get paid. And that's the downside. And I'm sure you, like me, have had times when you haven't been paid. Um, so that's the trade-off, isn't it? Um, that said, you know, we, we do have, um, uh, for our sales team, obviously commission structure, for our whole team, everybody in the company, um, has the opportunity to earn bonuses based upon overall company performance in all roles. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're never in a position where I am paying myself significantly more, but the team aren't earning bonuses. When the team earn bonuses, I earn bonuses. By the way, my bonuses are disproportionate to theirs, and that's the deal. That's the game. Um, and... I should be clear, myself and Matt, who is my business partner in the Elite Closing Academy, when that business performs really well, then we get all the upside. And guess what? When that business at times in the past hasn't performed very well, we've not been able to pay ourselves. So that's the gig. That's how it works. Um, I think for you, as you've grown businesses and they've become more profitable, I believe that not paying yourself more money is actually, not only is it detrimental to you, but it's actually detrimental to the team, the clients, and everybody associated with your business. Because what will happen is that you'll unconsciously um, throttle, if not sabotage, the success of your business. 
because you're not getting any of the upside. And you know, I mentioned uh, when Ben asked the question earlier um, about raising your money mindset. If you know, you've built very successful businesses, multi-six figures in annual revenues. But if you're serious about getting to seven figures and multi-seven and eight, and, and by the way, maybe you are and maybe you're not. You don't have to be. Um, for some people, success means getting your business to a certain level with a certain number of clients, generating a certain income, and you're good. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think if you're serious about getting to seven figures, multi-seven figures and beyond, then not rewarding yourself for that growth is like not rewarding somebody in your team for hitting a target or for exceptional performance. And the fact is the business will never out, the people in the business and the business as a whole will never outperform you. And so when your business is generating more revenue, more profit, the fact is your performance is increasing. You would never treat a member of your team like this. Would you? No. Nope. You would never treat a member of your team like this. Jeff said it in his session yesterday. He went, if we took a microphone and put it to your brain right now, what would everybody else hear? And would you be a little bit embarrassed? And my guess is, Chloe, if you had a member of your team that was performing exceptionally um, and that were hitting targets and driving growth in your business, there's no way in the world you would treat them like you're treating yourself right now. And of course, Chloe's the only person in this room <laughs> or listening to this podcast who's guilty of this. Thank you. Get it? Yeah, definitely. Bonus incoming? Definitely. Good, <laughs> love it. Thanks everyone here at Underground Empire Builders for playing full out and participating in this latest episode of Open and Real Q&A with Nick J. If you are enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe to Empire Builders, leave comments if you're watching on YouTube, and of course, send emails in to jake at expertempires.com if you would like to submit questions for future episodes. Jake, that's this guy right here. Jake at expertempires.com. He will collate all the questions, bring them to future episodes. The more questions you put in, the more episodes we'll record, the more answers you'll get. So thanks for playing full out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.